0: sunflowerofpeace.com Hello to our Commonwealth Club podcast listeners and viewers. This is a quick note from us, the employees of the club. As the world watches in horror the atrocities in Ukraine, the Commonwealth Club is highlighting important organizations providing humanitarian aid to the victims of this war. Sunflower of Peace is an organization working to support the people of Ukraine affected by the Russian military invasion. In collaboration with a global network of organizations, Sunflower of Peace procures, ships, and distributes vital medical supplies to Ukrainian health workers. It provides first aid backpacks, medicines, and essential medical supplies necessary for the very survival of the victims of this war. We encourage you to learn more about how to support this important work by visiting sunflowerofpeace.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our very first space, Changemakers, Inclusivity, and Civics. My name is Demiel Taylor, and I'm the Gen Z Engagement Intern for the Commonwealth Club's Education Initiative, Creating Citizens. I'm extremely excited and honored to be a part of this special conversation with our extraordinary guest. And as Carolyn mentioned, this space will be recorded, so keep that in mind if you decide to ask questions. And you can also send in questions using the hashtag CreatingCitizens. So today we are joined by a very, very special guest who has been doing transformative work in civics education to ensure diversity and inclusion across the board. Amber Coleman Mortley's passion is focused on elevating diverse voices and perspectives in the civic education space, working with students, educators, and parent communities for more equitable outcomes. She covers civics, K-12 education, and family life at Mom of All Capes, and her podcast with her children, Let's K-12 Better. So, of course, before we dive in, I want to say thank you to Amber for joining us. And we have to take a moment to celebrate the confirmation of Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. So, Amber,
1: please tell us how you're feeling and all that. Oh, my goodness! Um, so first of all, thank you so very much for having me here today. I am so excited and honored to be in the space uh with you all. Um, the excitement is uh intangible, right? Like I can't even really put into words how yesterday's uh outcomes have impacted me. I'm raising three daughters, um so these three little black girls have been watching from the moment this was announced in february at the end of february to yesterday um my daughter's reaction um just sums it all up she literally just screamed cuz i couldn't watch i was like i can't watch so she was you know on the senate.gov site and she just screams from the other room and like we all just start just screaming i started crying um i just never thought in my lifetime that i would be a witness to a moment like this, not because I didn't believe that black women and women with other marginalized identities were qualified enough. I just was uncertain if America was ready for us, right? And so I'm just so thankful to be alive, to be able to see this and just so excited to see how this will snowball into other um, opportunities for women of color to lead in our nation. So thank you so much for asking.
2: And Demille, I hate to, to hijack your your plan here, but I also want to give a a high five to our one of our was going to be panelists, Amy Allison. But you know, she went to Washington D.C. for the White House celebration of yeah. the new Supreme Court justice, so you know she couldn't quite make.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was looking at her um at her Instagram story. And I'm like, oh my god, she's right there. <laughs> so we know how she's feeling. We know she's very excited as well. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, also, I just wanted to, you know, don't want to derail it too much, but also just seeing that and being, you know, being a young Black woman to see that, that was very special. And honestly, I was in class when um, she actually got confirmed, but one of my classmates, she just um, yelled out to everyone, oh, she got confirmed, she's in. So then all of us, we were kind of just celebrating in our English class, and it was a very exciting moment.
1: Awesome, 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 awesome. I think we underestimated how much this would mean to not only black women, but to everyone. I did not realize like just even checking in with friends, you know, of all backgrounds, they're like, this is just so important. Like, this is amazing. We needed a win. Like, so like, it's just beautiful that a collective moment where everyone is rooting for this woman and rooting for our, you know, Senate to get behind this woman, like that is actually also, hopeful and refreshing and beautiful. So, I just want to add that too.
0: Thank you so much for your perspective. Now, I want to turn a little bit towards you and talk about the work that you've done. So, um, I really want to applaud how phenomenal Mama of All Capes is. And I was especially in all of the various toolkits you've created and all of the different resources you provide on Mama of All Capes. Um, Your toolkits provide recommendations for readings, films, podcasts, museums, artwork, and more. And within these toolkits, you've broken down the suggested material by grade level and included supplemental questions. Your dedication to providing thorough and high-quality resources is evident. So could you talk a bit about the importance of information access and equity with your work at Mom of All Capes?
1: Yes, of course. So, you know, I live and breathe this notion that, you know, knowledge is power, Um, I firmly believe that if we can all get on a similar page, we're never going to be on the same page, but a similar page, um, then we can, you know, understand each other better. We can have a shared understanding, have a shared language, um, align our goals so that we can collectively move in a similar direction. Um, You know, essentially the importance of information access really lies in, you know, what don't other people know and what is how is that holding them back from having amazing opportunities? Um, how is that holding them back from learning more about what they like and what they don't like, right? Um so I start I created those toolkits um during Black History Month, right? That was the first one that I made. And I was like, you know, people want to celebrate Black History Month, but they don't really know how right? Other than, you know, maybe retweeting an account or maybe sharing some information, you know, people don't really want to ask a Black person, you know, what's it like to be Black during Black History Month? So, (laughs) right, like, so, you know, the impetus behind what I, when I started was, how do I provide little doorways for people to not just necessarily experience Black culture, but to Be a little bit more open and inquisitive about people who they may see in their community, um, about the experiences of other people, about the ways in which we think about other people. How do I help people um, be aware um, so that they can engage in a more human way with others? That is the reason that I created those toolkits. The other thing is I didn't want to just give a list of things. Because what works for a high schooler won't necessarily work for a two and three year old. Right. So, you know, what I had been seeing was, you know, I get these lists and I'm like, "Mm, I have like elementary school kids. This isn't going to work. Right. Or Mm -hmm. um, I have a high schooler. This this is really too young for them. And so breaking it down so that folks literally have no reason to not. You know, engage. There's no reason to not explore and to push yourself mentally and to push yourself uh, in ways that you can, you know, try things out, right? Like, have a try a recipe, you know, listen to this different kind of music. Here's a movie that you, you and your family can watch. And then here are questions that you guys can ask each other after the experience is over.
0: Yeah. And to add to that, I think it's just really great. Just, I feel like a lot of times when It comes to learning about other cultures. Some people say, read this book, but the fact Mm -hmm. that you have all these different angles and aspects of having the recipes visit this museum, you're basically kind of tapping into all the different senses Then people can, you know, not get, not get one kind of perspective or way to um, explore the culture, but so many different modes. And I think that's amazing.
1: D'Amil, I love that you said all the different senses because, you know, as three dimensional beings, you know, we learn in a variety of ways. You know, some of us learn through music, some of us learn to listening, some of us learn yeah. through doing and active. Um, so I just really love the way you, you talked about this as well as like the senses. So, yeah.
0: Thank you. And um, also wanted to ask how have you felt or seen the impact with um, your work? With mom of all capes and let's K 12 better um, with students, educators,
1: and parents. Yeah, so, you know, I have been giving, you know, talks to PTAs and just listening to parents and the ways in which, you know, the last two years being in COVID 19, having a racial reckoning on top of us living with the trauma of a pandemic um, has shifted a lot of people's perspective around what am I here for? What am I trying to make sure that how, what kinds of humans do I want to raise? Um, How is my teaching impacting my students? So I think people are a a lot more hyper aware of what the impact of what they're doing, right. Being more intentional about the ways in their way, ways in which they're connecting, learning and experiences with others. Right. Um, So, you know, I, In my work, I think I am seeing, you know, just the impact of having deep conversations around how do you want to show up in the world? How do you want to show up for the young people in your lives? You know, um, learning a lot from adults. We know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. And so guiding people through their vulnerability, and by people, I mean adult people, through the vulnerability of being able to continue your learning process in an open and honest way with the young people in your lives, right? So it's not just about me, the adult, and I am the expert, but it's, I am a continually learning person. I may have been here a couple more decades than you, but I'm still open to learning and still open to evolving alongside of you. Um, Helping adults, Um, find the ways in which their students and and their kids can teach them. So what are the ways in which students and young people show up as experts that we older people can tap into, you know, provide mentorship around, but also like let young people lead. So those are the ways that I'm seeing, you know, kind of impacts of my work. It's more just me like supporting people and giving people the confidence to be vulnerable um, in ways that many of us were not raised to be. Right. A lot of us, Mm -hmm. and I will say speak right, speak for myself, right? You know, when you become an adult, like you're fully formed, you know, your frontal lobe is closed, and now you like know what you're doing. You better have it together. And that is not the case. And I'm very thankful for, you know, just the last two years being a disruptive moment to allow people to be a bit more vulnerable and check in with themselves to say, you know what, maybe we didn't know about racism in this country fully, where can I go get information? And it's not information to make me feel bad about myself. It's actually information that will empower me to make more intentional, more conscious, more aware choices moving forward. Thank you. And also
0: like what you were saying about um, not only being the adult, but being able to learn alongside um, the children that you're um, impacting and learning and teaching. Also, this bleeds into my next question of Let's K-12 Better, which is the podcast you started alongside your children um, during the beginning of the pandemic. So as you were saying, you being the adult, you now have this understanding that you don't know everything and you're okay with knowing that. So what was your motivation behind not only educating your children about the topics you cover, but having them be a part of the conversation with your guests and collaborators?
1: Yeah, so we were in the house <laughs> and, you know, my daughters, they were getting their work done very quickly. And I was, you know, piling on extra work and then I was having them do like workbooks. And I was like, you know what? Nah, this is a moment of trauma. Let's learn something new. Let's expand what it means to learn in this household. Right. Um, I don't want to inundate you with facts and like having to like pour more facts on top of facts and facts. So, Um, The inspiration behind and the motivation behind starting this podcast really came from, as a parent, what is a project-based learning experience? What is some experiential learning that I can throw at my kids that I also can benefit from, right? Um, Having a podcast was something that we always wanted to do. Um, Pre-pandemic, we would spend seven days a week out of our house. Um, whether it was sports or birthday parties or whatever. So, we never really had the time to sit down and like dedicate moments to a hands on group project because essentially this is a group project, right? Um, you know, my oldest daughter, she produced the music for the podcast. Um, she used an app and then, you know, made the beats and made the music for it. Um, you know, my other two daughters, they helped with creating the topics and the ideas. We think about like, who is in our network that's really cool that we'd want to talk to um, who has really great ideas about education that we'd love to have more people hear their brilliance, right? How do we provide a space, a platform pulling up an extra chair at our table um, for someone else so that we can learn from them and learn about their experiences and their journey to the passion that they, they live through their lives. So that's essentially just the motivation behind it. Um, I would also say, you know, it's, For us, education is super important. And so it's not only just this, you know, project-based learning experience, but for us, it's how do we improve the K-12 education experience so that parents, kids, and educators can get something out of this, right? How do we work together because we are a community? Um, And many times the K-12 space is transactional right? So the kids go to school, they come back home. So the teachers and the kids are exchanging, you know, the kids may tell their parents about what's happening at school. Parents go to parent teacher conference and get the emails and the newsletter from the teacher or the principal. It's it's very much of an exchange. We really believe that this K-12 experience is a communal experience, right? It is also an evolving experience. And so we hope that um, through our conversations, we are sparking ideas and, um, you know, new ways of thinking and interest and hopefully a bit of hilarity and absurdity as well um, as we have these conversations and engage with each other around the table and model also what family conversations could be, um, you know, when you sit down with your kids, what kinds of questions do you want to ask them about their day, about their schooling experience? So that's kind of the, the motivation behind it and like what we hope people get out of it.
0: Thank you. And also like what you were saying, and I can basically attest to this because I was a senior this time last year in high school. Mm -hmm. And just with taking econ and government, it, like you said, it's a very transactional experience. It's just Mm -hmm. like, this is how our government functions, but there's no detailing of this is how you can participate. And you talked about this in your podcast um, that you, with Dr. Emma Humphreys of iCivics, and you both were talking about how schools are not educating students on civics. It's just this is how our government functions. These are the three branches, and just black and white. This is what um, you should know, but not how. How do we engage with it? Mm-hmm. So I also want to ask, what steps can older teens and like young adults, like myself, take to deepen our understanding of civic engagement and the power we hold in our democracy?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful question. Um, And, you know, the first thing I would say is we need to reimagine the definition of what civics is, right? So civics and those who are working in the space and those who are teaching the subject matter see it this way, but like thinking about civics is not just the information that we're learning about, like the three branches of the government and understanding the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, right? That process or understanding the process of, uh, you know, electing officials or getting that stop sign at the corner and speed bumps on your street, right? That's civic but also civics is all about the rules of engagement and agreements between individuals in a specific community, right? How do we as individuals in a community relate to each other, work through our disagreements, um, elevate our agreements, evolve practices so that we are current? These things are civic practices, right? And so I think you know, steps that older teens and young adults can take is, one, just understanding that any space that you inhabit is a civic space, right? Whether that is a place of worship, whether that's your friend group, whether that is, you know, a volunteer work that you're doing, every space you're in, whether that is your job, right? So the place that you choose to work or do an internship at, that is also a civic space. And the ways in which we engage with other people in those spaces are civic practices. These are agreements that we're we're acting out together um, and it's a jockeying of power sometimes, and sometimes it's co- collective right and so that would be the first thing I'd say, looking at how you go into these spaces as an opportunity to be a part of a community wherever you are and then, as far as like deepening your understanding of like civic engagement and the power that we hold in our democracy. You know, right, we are in a representative democracy, whether people like it or not, want to agree with that or not. This is a representative democracy. But just because you're voting for someone does not mean that then your engagement in what's happening stops. You are always to be checking in on, right, and like looking at and reading about and, you know, updating and, you know, participating in the, inf- the, the quality information sharing of what is happening around you. And I would say first, local. You know, many of us do not have a for real, for real local newspaper, right? I would say young adults are extremely, pos- like well positioned to start a grassroots local newspaper about what is happening in your neighborhood or in your city, right? Um, using social media to make news and letting people know what's going on around you. That would be one thing I would charge to young people um, as far as like how do we, you know, create civic engagement. The other things, I have so many, so I'll keep it short, but some other, other things I would say would be, you know, um thinking just about how you connect with other generations right to hear you know what are some of the challenges that people who lived through the civil rights era experienced that i could then apply to some of the social justice and civic issues that i'm trying to change right you know folks were fighting for the environment in the 60s and well before that how does that still apply now right folks were fighting for you know racial equality you know, civil rights era, how do I apply some of their strategies and evolve some of their strategies so that I can get done what I want to get done, right, for my communities? Um, So, you know, I would say tapping into the older generation and and trying to find alliances and mentorship there, that is another thing um, that can help. And I'll stop just to make sure that, you know, I'm not taking up too much airtime or if you have questions or follow-ups.
0: Well, no, thank you. That was an amazing answer. And also... Um, The question that I have now also plays into what you said. I feel like a lot of young people kind of overlook certain things. They think we vote every four years, but they overlook the work that needs to be done in between. Um, Like once you elect your official, you have to be able to hold them accountable, make sure they're sticking to the things that they promise and the things that you expect from them. Mm -hmm. And also, I think a lot of times when it comes to things like local and midterm elections, a lot of young people, we kind of neglect that. Um, having civil dialogue, actually sitting down and having conversation with those around us. And as well as, you know, even though this is usually every 10 years, but by the time that most of Gen Z, we get older, we're going to be doing this a couple of times. is redistricting and census efforts. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize how they all impact one another. So could you talk about how these how these efforts work in tandem to shape our communities?
1: Yeah, I think... Now our society is getting, I'll just use one example. Our society is getting a lot of more comfortable talking about like redlining and how that, you know, redistricting, gerrymandering, right? So those three things, how they're connected um, mm-hmm. to create systemic imbalances of power for marginalized people, right? So at that, just at that example alone, like thinking about like, who is voting with me in my district, and who are we voting for, and um, how do we mobilize our efforts so that we get folks who actually care about the things that are impacting our community, right? Um, Being able to tie that local to national, like, the dots between those two, Um, and then I just want to say media literacy, right? And I I feel like I'm going off the rails with your question, so I may ask you to just rephrase it for me, but like, media literacy is uh absolutely critical to ensuring you know what's going on and you're able to tie your your work back to the change that needs to happen so please let me know if i'm not answering your question because i would love to oh make no sure. you're, you're on track
0: <laughs> no you're definitely on track i you know i just feel like like i said with youth I feel like sometimes especially since our generation we're so tapped in with social media and we have all these streams of information hitting us all at one time. I think sometimes people can get overwhelmed and then neglect the things, like you said, with like paying attention to what actually is true, how these things connect from the local to the national level. I think sometimes, like I said, with all the streams of information we get, we kind of get lost in that. So yeah, you're right on track with that, definitely. I
1: I wanna add that there are so many watchdog accounts and there are so many apps that are out there that are across the political spectrum. So I don't want it to seem like, you know, these things are only like liberal leaning or leaning yeah. or concern. like across the political spectrum, there are folks who are doing the work. You just need to like literally sign up for their newsletter. Right. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> like that. It's just as basic as like sign up for this person's newsletter so that you can be kind of in the know and then continue to sign up for, Newsletters of folks you don't agree with so that you can compare the information, see what other folks are thinking about and the ways in which they're thinking about similar um, problems that you see, but they're approaching it a different way. So diversifying your your media and news and information consumption and then having a critical eye on you know, what is coming through your newsfeed, what is coming into your email box, you know, what the things that your family is saying at the dinner table or at holiday parties and having the courage to say, "Mm, I think that's, I don't know if that's right or that is Mm -hmm. not right. Here's the information. Right. So like just being an agent of news positive, not positive, but like correct news distribution is a whole lot, especially right now, I would say.
0: Yeah, and then also, like you said, um, with with learning about different sources and learning information, it's not, you know, left is better or right is better. It's about, you have people on the left and the right that are switching Mm -hmm. information and bending things to fit their narrative. So it's all about, you know, not being like, Well, yes on CNN, no on Fox. Yes on Fox, no on CNN. It's about Mm -hmm. taking these sources, putting them next to each other. And like you said, there are a lot of great different um, sites. I think All Sides is one of them, where Mm -hmm. they give you so many different um, examples of what moderately left and um, moderately right sources look like. And then you have a lot of fact checkers that fact check across the board. So it's not their only fact checking conservative um, outlets and sources but they're fact-checking everything and making sure so like you said the work is being done it's just a matter of finding it
1: yes I, I want to you know like just give a shout out to like vote 411 gives non-partisan information about the folks that election information so you know a lot of young people are like okay, this is my first time voting, I don't know who to vote for, right? League of Women Voters, another amazing organization who like, they're just like, we're just gonna give you what they did, you know, not in not any opinion about it, we're gonna just Mm -hmm. give you the information so that you can formulate. So like looking for organizations like that, who again, doing the due diligence, doing the work, signing up for their newsletter, so that you can also be in the know And feel confident and feel equipped to be able to make like the best decision that you possibly can.
0: So now I want to ask you a quick question and kind
1: of pivoting it back
0: to you. Um, When you were around your high school and college years, what did civic education and engagement look like to you? And with all the things that you just mentioned to us and suggested, how Could you place yourself in that time and how some of us are feeling?
1: Yeah, so um, shout out to the 90s and the 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was like, uh, you know, I guess like a 90, late, mid 90s to 2000s was my years of middle school to um, college, right? Interesting time to be alive. And not as interesting as now, but, um, you know, the For me, civic education, civic engagement has always been just an important part of my family, right? So I'm very fortunate to come from people who, you know, we are like critically patriotic and we respect the military and we also like, you know, just making sure that we like, you like America, like, it's awesome, but also, like, what can we fix here, and people have experienced challenges, so being able to balance, like, patriotic, you know, patriotism and optimism and a critical eye to, like, what needs to be fixed, right, and so with that, you know, I have always, like, been into, like, volunteer work, Um, in college specifically, I was a part of, like, Ohio PIRG, so you know, it was the 2020 election. (laughs) That was my first semester. And I signed up to knock on canvas, right, and knock on doors and get people registered to vote. Like, because I was like, it's the 2020 election, like, this is gonna be my, I mean, 2000 election, not 2020, 2000 election, like, this is my first time voting, you know, like, I need to get as many people on board as possible. Ohio is purple. We're a swing state, you know, so like we got to get folks just engaged and participating. I didn't care who signed up. I just wanted to get as many people registered. Um, I will talk just really briefly about an experience I did have um, going door to door and registering voters as a new voter. I get to this one family's door and the man opens the door and he was like, you can get out of here with that you know and he didn't say it that nicely and so I was like well sir I just would love to know like why you're not interested in registering to vote and he was like they don't want to hear anything I have to say or anything that you want to say and I was like you know I'm 18 (laughs) so I was like um okay you know like I just need you to fill this out um but I but I was also very much hurt by that because for me you know as a young excited individual um ready to participate in what seemed to be and it was hyped up as like, this is one of the most important things you'll ever do with your life. Right? Hearing an older person tell you that it doesn't matter or that your voice doesn't count or that no one wants to hear what you want to contribute was very like earth shattering because I'd never come across adults like that before. Right? Um, So I said to myself, I made it a point that, you know, when I got older, I'm never going to do that to a young person, right? Um, I want young people to be excited and enthusiastic about engaging and participating in democratic experiences. Um, So outside of just registering people to vote, you know, again, volunteering, when I became a teacher and an athletic coach, I had a civic component to every single team that I coached. So they would go... um, they would either register voters or they would volunteer somewhere. But I always made a a point that whoever's around me, we're going to always be doing something civic because it's just really, really important that you understand that you are tied to a community of people who need to hear what you have to say. Right. And that was my experience growing up. Right. I'm not going to say that it was like, perfect and amazing (laughs) but I definitely felt as if you know my contributions mattered my my mom made it very clear that you know speak up you know when something's not going right you got to speak up there are proper channels to do things learn the rules of the game right that's another thing I would just definitely uh, say was an impression upon me as a young person was learning how the rules work right and learning how we engage right? What is the, if you get pulled over, what is the process? It may go off the rails, but what is the Mm -hmm. process? If you, you know, what is the process for speaking at your city council? There's a process. And so, you know, I think for me as a young person, I was very fortunate to have a parent who did this for me. And then also, you know, going to a school where, you know, back in the late 90s in Ohio, we got a good civic education. We learned about the Ohio government. We took an eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C., you know, in the late 90s. Um, So, you know, those kinds of experiences were extremely formidable for um, just lighting a fire underneath my passion for civics, but specifically for empowering young people to participate and engage.
0: Yeah, and also with that man that did... um that reacted that way do you think also um like you were saying some people just don't understand how you know going to city council meetings voting in local elections and all the way to the national level how they all connect so do you think the lack of understanding in certain communities is why some people are just so disenchanted with voting and feel like it
1: doesn't matter i i do and i would also say on the other hand right it's very hard if you feel empowered, and you run up against a brick wall, right? So I'll use this analogy. I use this with my daughter. Shout out to her. She's on the call right now. Um, I'll use this analogy that I said to her about why some people may not participate. If we think about democracy like a basketball game, because I'm an athlete, so that's where my mind goes, (laughs) right? We think about democracy like a basketball game. We have referees. We have rules of engagement. The game is flowing, you know, and it's great. But right now, and for for many communities historically, we haven't been playing basketball, but we've been playing keep away, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, where some people really want to play basketball, they're trying to play basketball but they keep, folks are keeping the ball away or keeping opportunities away or, you know, changing the rules while they're playing. And so I do get the frustration that some people, especially people with marginalized identities and this man, you know, he was a black man. So, you know, he was like 40 or something, right? And so I get it. I was like, if I rewind back, like, you know, he may have had a moment where, as a Black male, he did not have a great civic experience um, that was a lived experience, because what we learn in school is one level of civic awareness. The Mm -hmm. other part of civic awareness is what's happening in our homes, our families. Are our families engaging in democratic processes? right? Our parents allowing kids to vote about dinner or where we want to go on vacation, right? That's one, that's another level. And then when we go out in society and we see our community and we compare our community to other communities, right? Or we look at our, what's happening in the news, to people that look like us, you know, there's can be, that's a different, that's the third or fourth la- layer of civic awareness. And yeah. so when we look, you know, when we look at all those things, Yes, one side is not knowing how things work, but the other reality is sometimes people may try to play by the rules and they're like, I'm just tired of playing this game of basketball. Like, I'm going to go play soccer. I'm just going to go sit on the bench, right? And so we do need to, you know, work on ensuring that when people are informed and they do have the passion, that the system operates in a way that is optimal for people to participate. So we have, we do need to fix some of the broken, you know, the brokenness.
0: Yeah. And that also plays into what we were talking about earlier with the curriculum. We're taught about how the government functions, Mm -hmm. but also not, and you know, you can like, you can go and vote, go vote, Mm -hmm. register, but not understanding that, like you said, with that man, he probably did have a different experience as a black man. And I know for me as an 18 year old, I, I kind of do have a little sense of privilege because. I'm someone that's, you know, I'm not a felon. And I know felons, they Mm -hmm. immediately, they're stripped of their right to vote. And then also with me living here in the Bay Area, I feel like we do have a bit more accessibility when it comes to voting. But like we saw um, during the 2020 election, we had people in Texas and in Georgia that were being forced to wait in these long, long lines because polling stations within their counties or in their cities were closed. So they all had to go to this one Mm -hmm. and you couldn't sit in line and, you know, eat or drink water or anything. So I think like you're saying, there is a sense of privilege. And, you know, the way that I also, the way I feel like I frame these questions too is our understanding of how the game should be played is, you know, it's very clean cut, but also with, all these different elements that are used to derail people that do try and play the game properly. Um, right. I think all of the, like you said, all of those layers, they play together. And um, I think that's also another thing that's missing in our government and civic like classes. Is You can try to play the game as it is supposed to be followed, but you will possibly run into hurdles. Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. And part of what I would hope that we evolve to is empowering young people with civic problem-solving skills, right? So some of my blog posts that are older on Mama Volkate talks about, you know, civic problem-solving and, you know, an individualized civic learning experience where you're centering the student and what they're seeing in the world and then you're equipping them with the skills, the knowledge, the expertise to go out in the world and fix those problems. Because again, we're every space is a civic space. Um, I would definitely encourage and, you know, not to like be super over but definitely encourage people to check out our most recent podcast episode um, with Elizabeth Clay Roy. She's the CEO of Generation Citizen. And you know, I love her. She's amazing. She and I are definitely aligned as far as talking about some of the ways in which we can empower and equip young people with the skills they need. Um, But she really can, she really goes into like why it's so important far more eloquently than I ever could. So if you're looking for more (laughs) information about that, definitely check out that, that episode. Yeah. And I've added it right here to our space
0: and make sure you guys, um, subscribe to Amber's newsletter. And then all the information from Mama of all capes and let's K 12 better will also be posted on our account. So make sure you follow up with her as well.
2: Uh... <laughs> um,
0: so my next question I have for you is what do you hope Gen Z can do to continue to achieve an even more just democracy that represents us all?
1: Oh man. Um, I want to say, here's what I hope for Gen Z, because I'm raising Gen Z and Gen Alpha in my Mm -hmm. home, and I look at the ways in which, you know, previous generations, the way we're leaving the planet and the messes that we're creating here and there, right? And then also some of the progress. So I don't want to just be a Debbie Downer. There's lots (laughs) of progress that we're making as well. But what I hope for Gen Z and Gen Alpha is that they feel as if anything is possible, right? And I'm not even saying this in a very Pollyanna-like way. I'm saying it very realistically. Like, look at the fact that we have confirmed Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, right? Like, yes. wow. You know, like, um, look at, we have Kamala Harris and we have, you know, we had Barack Obama. And I'm just speaking for, you know, Black people, right? There's so many mm-hmm. other groups who have had amazing folks rise to prominence and power from their communities, from a variety of marginalized communities, right? Not just race. And so I really hope that, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha believe that anything is possible. I hope that they receive the mentorship and the encouragement and the support that is necessary in order for them to be fully actualized civic participants. Right. So, you know, again, it is incumbent upon myself and people who are older than me to make sure that we are giving them what they need so that when we're all gone, they can do what needs to be done. Right. And before we're gone, we are willing to open doors and partner and support um, and leverage our networks so that they can move faster. I'm very excited that you know technology is a thing. Um, I'm very excited that you know this generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, knows that how to use technology. I'm really excited to see what the future of voting would be like in a technologically advanced society that's open to stuff like that. So, just what I hope is that they just have the space to create the multicultural, multigenerational democracy that we all deserve. That's what I. That's what I hope.
0: Thank you so much. Just listening to you, this whole space has been so amazing. (laughs) You're amazing,
1: (laughs) Demi. You're amazing. We wouldn't all be here if it weren't for you. So I do want to say that.
0: Thank you. So now I want to open up the floor. So if any of our audience members have questions, um, Carolyn, if you have any additional questions for Amber, I want to open that up, and um, I'm going to mute so everyone else can have their opportunity
2: yeah I'll go ahead and ask the first question to my friend Amber um hey. and I think hey, hey and i I think I asked this to as as many civics folks who are in the social media space as possible. you know, as a former teacher, a, a lot of times it feels like with our students who have come up on i mean, I was the only teacher in my school who like allowed the kids to be on their phone outside mm. for when they had to use it because the laptop that the school district gave them did not work. So <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: what
2: what would you advise as far as, you know, even c- especially civics education? Our students are getting a lot of their knowledge about civics from TikTok, from Instagram and Twitter, they're not getting it in the traditional manners. What do you think is the best way for teachers to start pivoting in the way that they are teaching civics to our children in a meaningful way, a way that is going to um, have them wanting to get engaged beyond um, just kind of the sound bites that are in social media?
1: Yeah, I love that question. And uh, again, I will go back to one of our podcast guests, uh, David Olson. He's the director of education at Retro Report. So these aren't my words. I'm going to use his words. Um, he said that what he hopes is every citizen, and social studies teacher starts the day with news, with media, with opening up about current events and having the bravery to provide scaffolded experiences and opportunities for students to dissect the news and be able to connect current events with historic events. So that's that would be the number one. Not my words. You know, shout out to David Olsen Retro Report. He was on our podcast. Please listen to that episode. You know, he also laid out, I will use his example, also laid out just a wonderful exercise teachers can use. He said, get some butcher block paper and then you have local news you have state news and then you have like federal level news right and like have students from a wide variety of outlets and then have students like piece together a story based on several different media outlets what are folks from different different i guess different networks and different media outlets saying about the same event how do they present the news right giving students the space to have a critical eye to to that, and then also letting them bring in what they see on TikTok, right? And let's talk about it, right? TikTok, you get those sound bites that sound really cool and are viral. They don't really go deep into what is actually happening. So using TikTok videos as a conversation starter, right? And then connecting again, though, making sure it's a scaffolded experience so that you can connect that back to the historic events. Oh, We've been talking about voting rights forever for a variety of communities. How is today's conversation about voting rights the same and how is it different? Let's pull up some proof of that, right? Um, So that's just, you know, just a, a quick example. I would also say not being afraid. I think civic educators specifically right now are under the laser and under the microscope. um, Folks are unfortunately, you know, people reporting teachers for all kinds of things where they're just, what they're doing is making other students feel welcome and a part of it and expanding narratives so that everyone feels a part of this wonderful American story. And so being cognizant about that, like what is the work that you as an educator can do up front to get the parents on board, not necessarily pleasing them or proving to them that you're a great teacher, but saying, hey, these are some of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, these are some of the things that we're going to, you know, approach in the classroom. We would love for you give parents some homework. We'd love for you to continue this conversation at your kitchen table or after school or on the bus ride or the ride to soccer and lacrosse or volleyball, right? Like, I think giving parents something to do then makes them feel like they have skin in the game and that they're also a part of this ex- this learning experience right so you know those are a few things that i would say to help our civics and social studies teacher uh teachers in this moment um especially when it feels it feels really heavy right and if and it feels like anything that you could possibly do could end up being something t- that you're in the principal's office for right
2: Absolutely. is a lot of times I feel for my friends that are teaching in in states who are not necessarily the most open to those different perspectives. I mean, we're here in California. We could talk about almost anything. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. same. Was th- Did anyone else have any questions? If you did want to ask a question, go ahead and raise your hand and we can bring you up onto the virtual stage. Um, and Demille, if not, you can decide if you want to go ahead and close out the space or not because someone is sitting outside my window honking a horn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so if anyone else has questions, um, you can request right now and we'll let you up. Um, I'll give you guys a couple minutes to do that. Or if you'd like to just submit your questions um, via a tweet, you can tweet it and then add the hashtag creating citizens. And if not, we'll um, close out. So if you have any questions, raise your hand or submit it to you right now. Can I say one more
1: thing for
0: parents? Of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would just say for parents, you know, and I will speak to myself. My goal as a parent is to release actualized, empowered, and confident civic participants onto the world. Folks who don't necessarily believe that their political values are more important than anyone else's, but believe that working with other people is integral to making sure our society can sustain itself. Um, So, you know, I would just encourage parents to think more critically about not necessarily you're trying to have someone a part of your party, right? Whether you're independent, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, et cetera, et cetera, your goal is to release individuals onto the rest of us that are willing and amenable to working with the rest of us.
0: Thank you, that was excellent. So it looks like we're gonna close the space out. And again, thank you so much to Carolyn and especially to Amber for joining us today. Um, I'm going to also tweet out um, Mom of All Capes and Let's K-12 Better. So I want everyone to follow Amber and to just look at all the work she's done and make sure you follow up with the K-12 Better podcast and the blog Mom of All Capes. Amazing, amazing work. Um, I want to thank, again, thank you, Amber, and thanks to everyone that tuned in, to our audience members, and we hope to have more Twitter spaces in the future. So, That is all for me, and I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you so much for joining. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate.